Hey, Collabers, I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buckles. And you're listening to CollaboraCast. How's it going, Jay? I got a garbage truck going by. I don't know if you can hear it, but it's loud to me. I think that that just adds to the atmosphere. What, what kind of weather is that garbage truck pulling along? <laughs> it just blew by. Uh, it was, it's chilly. Very autumnal all of a sudden. We got some rain here over the weekend, which is unusual at this time of year. Usually it's another several weeks before we really get any rain. But uh, had some rain come down this weekend and things are, are nice and clear and aromatic as a result. In your area, uh, are you in drought concern issues? Like, is that rain helpful? Is that rain just, it's just rain? Is it helpful? How All it rain fit? is always helpful. It is, it is, yeah, no matter what the time of year, it's always a concern about the snowpack and the, the, the you know, the, any rain that falls down in the winter gets frozen in the mountains and then that's the snowpack, then that becomes the drinking water after that and so the that's there's constant monitoring of the reservoir levels of the amount of snowpack and so every every drop that falls is is needed there's no such thing here as just yeah, it's just more rain it's all it's all it's like it's like dune out here well good then i'm glad that it rained a little unexpectedly and i hope that it continues to do so in a way that does not result in flooding of any sort yeah as, as we're seeing in other parts of the world right now, um, unfortunately, thoughts, thoughts going out to all those affected. Absolutely. I also noticed that you guys have had a series of earthquakes that every time I see Twitter and earthquake in California, I look and it's all kind of in the Bay Area. I even saw Richmond mentioned once, so... I don't know if it was an epicenter or if it was just somebody in Richmond talking about the earthquake, but have you had any wild experiences in this most recent cluster? None. I haven't felt any of them. I've learned about them from Twitter also. So it's just another, just another Bay Area week. What's the biggest earthquake you've actually lived through? Oh, that would have been the uh, 1989 1989 Loma Prieta quake. What was that like? It was the whole house started shaking wildly. We all, so I was in, I was in the middle of a game of Tetris being the junior hire that I was at the time and uh, was sitting there, my right hand blazing through my pieces, stacking them up. Uh, and then everything started shaking and we all ran out of the house and just watched it shake and everything was fine um, on our property. Um, but obviously not, not, not so much other places, but that, that is by far the, the most serious earthquake that I've been through. Were you in Santa Rosa at that time? Yes. Yep. That was in Santa Rosa. And then of course the epicenter was down uh, two out that was probably two hours, two and a half hours north of the epicenter at that point, um, a two hour, two and a half hour drive. So um, yeah, not that, not that far away. And 
as you well know, I'm headed out to California in the Bay Area in a couple of weeks. If you were going to give a flatland Midwesterner like myself some really quick advice about what to do when an earthquake hits, what, what should I kind of store in my lizard brain? Get under a table, get under something heavy. We, our instinct was to run outside, which was contrary to all of the drilling that we used to do in elementary school. Uh, Cause outside trees and power lines and stuff can fall on you. Um, we were in a big old, so I grew up in a large two story old farmhouse essentially. And uh, if that house were to collapse, I don't think that being under a table downstairs would really have been very safe. But um, yeah, get to a clear area, get under something, get under a heavy piece of furniture. If you're inside, um, there's not much else you can do. If you're outside, are you better off? Are you better off in a car if you're outside or should you get out of the car if you're outside when it happens? And stay in, stay in the car. <clears throat> yeah, it's going to protect you if anything. You know, I think if you're outside, the, the, the problem is falling trees or power poles or something like that. And okay. You're, you're better in a car there. But um, if you're inside, uh, you can get in a doorway because you've got the, the structure of the house. You've got, you've got more load bearing solid frame around you. Yep. So I think you tend to do better in, in doorways and under big chunky pieces of furniture. But, All right. Well, I will uh, recall that if need be. And I hope that we don't have an episode in November where you're like, so Ben, what was it like living through your first earthquake? And I've got like double slings going on. Like, well, I ran outside right as the tree came down and broke both of my arms. Well, it could, it, it could happen. It's, it, you know, most of them are just quick jolts, quick little things. Um, we get, we get pretty used to them, but you know, there's always, there's always the fear of the big one, the next big one. Yeah. How much would you say that that actually weighs on your mind? Is that something that just every now and then you kind of get a little anxious about it or is it always in the back of your mind? It's kind of neither. You just kind of forget about it. It's like, it's like being worried about getting struck by a meteor. It's like it's a thing that could happen, but there's no way to predict it. There's nothing to do about it, unlike the fires. So now the, the, the concern out here has really become the seasonal fires. And that is more of that's more of that. That's become more alarming than the earthquakes because it's it's regular. We can we can, like I said, we're measuring the water levels, the rainfall. We're seeing less rain, less water. There are, you know different 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 things in terms of forest management in terms of geography that can exacerbate things um, and so there are places now I mean I have friends I'm not in a lot of danger right where I live but where I grew up in Santa Rosa and on the outskirts of Santa Rosa I have friends who have bags packed at the ready at their front door you know they keep all of their valuables in bags by the front door that's where their photo albums are that's where their you know extra clothes are and that's just a that's just a 24 7 around the clock situation mm -hmm. so, and that's that's only been in my lifetime that's only been over the last decade or so um you know when i was a kid it was floods were the concern and now it's now it's 
the, the fires are more of a concern. So that it's really changed the, the equation for the decision to live in certain places. Um, because there's, there's, you know, you can clear defensible space around your home. You can do all of those things, but if there's a forest on fire and it's moving towards a town, there's, you know, the best efforts of, of the firefighters, notwithstanding there are, you know, these are forces that are beyond the human ability to, to really control. Yeah. You know what we're doing? We're chit-chatting and we got viewer feedback that chit-chatting isn't popular across all demographics, but I enjoy chit-chatting with you, Mr. Buckholz. So likewise. And it's been a couple of weeks. We skipped yeah. last week because you were on a trip. I was in Salida, Colorado, which is yeah. an adopted hometown of mine for a writer's retreat that I do on a fairly regular, almost annual basis, unless things come up. So I had the benefit of leaving the Midwest and going up into the mountains, hanging out at about a little over 7,000 feet of elevation. And that does take a toll on you at some point, a day or two in, you kind of like, why am I, why is breathing feel hard? And why do I just feel tuckered out? But I got to hang around a great crew of writers. Everyone was working on different projects. We did some hiking. We did some group painting. We set up multiple stations, local artists, and a, and a good friend of mine, Carl Ortman, provided some space and some supplies so that we as writers could experiment with a different medium. and. I documented all of that last year, but I didn't actually paint last year. This year I painted and I, I believe I have found a new thing to help me with my creative process, help me discover the joy of art in a way that sometimes I lose with books because I can't see books. I can't write books purely for the art of it because editor brain is going on, publishing professional brain is going on. So it strips some of the magic and the joy out of it. But I don't have that with painting. I don't know what the rules are. I don't it's just, I feel compelled to hit this with this color and use a big brush here and paint with my fingers here and throw some stuff at the canvas here. And that is really liberating and feels really good. So Big thank you to Anita Mum, Carl Ortman, and everybody else at the Salida Writers Retreat and the whole town of Salida. It's really great. And I encourage people, if you're able to, to do writers retreats, to get out of your regular life and the constraints that it puts on you to be able to just go focus on listening and creating and just being, giving yourself a chance to breathe. And I realize that there is a lot of privilege that comes with being able to do that. I'm not married. I don't have children. I don't have to pick anyone up at soccer practice. I don't have any of that stuff. But I think that there are probably ways to incorporate that into, into your life, if not on an annual basis, um, on a 
on an infrequent but occurring basis. And I know that we've talked about one of the things that we would like to do with Collaborist as time goes on is be able to help create the space and uh, just make it easier for people to do that, whether it be helping people with the cost of going or just having a space that's nearby and doesn't require a lot of travel. And as we continue to do what we're doing, we will keep people updated about how they can participate. Tell me a little bit about, so I am somebody with kids to pick up and so on. So I have not had the opportunity. So tell me, tell me a little more about what it's like, what are, what's the facility, what's the program, what, what's, what are the interactions like? What's, how do you, what's a typical day like? The one that, that I help run in Salida, we are very mindful to create activities that people can choose to participate in. But what we really want is them to have the freedom and the space and the time to work on whatever they feel called to work on. So we would have group lunches, group dinners. You can participate, you cannot participate. We would schedule hikes in Salida. You can go to hot springs nearby and soak in the hot springs we try to do like the, the painting, the art thing. We make all of that stuff available so that people can do what they feel called to do, but we definitely keep the space open for, for writing and for being able to work on your book. There is no hotel. Everyone gets their own accommodations wherever I stayed in a, a wonderful Airbnb by myself. And there are plenty of places around town for all budgets for people where people can stay. And yeah, it's just, we kept it very loose and that's what we have found to be the most effective thing in earlier years. And in, in like the early, early years, there was more thought put into how can we give people the adventure of being in the mountains and in Salida and then over time, we've said, how about instead of making people feel like there's an itinerary and a schedule, which is very much what people need to sometimes get away from, they need the freedom of being able to, to own their own time. And then that's why some people are there in the first place is to be able to get away from scheduling. So to be able to just free things up without making people feel like they're missing out if they don't attend a lunch or a dinner or go on a hike. That's a really important part of it. I want people to feel supported. And I'm, I'm the same way. I didn't go to some events because I was working on my book. I was working on writing. I had an external hard drive that I took with me that had about 700 documents on it. And that's not an exaggeration pursuant to the book that I'm working on right now. And I sorted through those and I got everything down to about eight to 10 documents. I just was dumping things into, into eight or 10 documents so that I could sort through those. And because I'm being particularly self-indulgent and pampering and the pandemic had already sort of made a mess of my plans, I'll be going to another writing retreat, this one, in your area, out in the Bay Area, for two weeks in a few weeks, where I will now take everything that I've been 
condensing from 700 files into eight to 10 files and actually trying to have a finished draft of the book, a full finished draft of the book by the middle of October. So I'm excited about that. This is this particular retreat in at the Wellstone. I've was supposed to go in 2020 and then the pandemic got in the way and then 2021 and then it's still stuff was getting in the way and then it's now 2022. And this is a place where I would usually go twice a year for a week each time. And it is even less structured. It's, it's very much a, your time is your time, 24 hours a day with the one group activity being that everyone comes together for dinner and takes turn making dinner for the group, depending on what day of the week it is. And everyone just talks about what they're working on or what's going on in the world. Being around a group of other writers, being in an environment where not only is your creativity encouraged, but it is solidly cheered on and, and applauded. It's really important and it is such a blessing. And I do encourage people when possible to do that. And even if it's, you know, you could do it, you could do a two day retreat. And if you're focused and you have that kind of energy, that's great. The longer you can go, the better. And there are, retreats like this set up different levels of, uh, I wanted to say professionalism, but that's not it. But larger, some cases it's a larger organization that's doing this and there's, there's a whole lot of stuff already in place and you can read about them. And in other places, it's much more informal. If you have some friends and you all just want to get away for a couple of days or a week, and you have the discipline to not, not get too distracted by other pursuits, rent an Airbnb 50 miles outside of town, just get outside of, get outside of your world and have four people in a house for a weekend working on materials together and sharing it. Just getting away, breaking away from the things that are important but feel like obligations is is really helpful in my experience it sounds like it has like it's a way to did you go into salida with the intention of you had you had the intention you had those 700 documents and and i'm imagining that that was likely your intention for that trip was to condense those down was to get, get some get yeah. some order to that chaos that's exactly what it was and i set a firm realistic goal that that's what i was going to do and i knew that i had this other retreat coming up in socal in a few weeks and so i said to myself do this here so that you can be prepared over here to do this other thing and i was able to do that. I was able to get some additional writing done. And I assumed that I was going to, but I didn't want to put that pressure on myself, but I, I did get some more writing done. And I also took the time to, as I was going through the documents, think about how I was going to incorporate different things and how I was going to take notes. So I just, I gifted myself the space of let me think about this and let me think about this with a free and clear brain. 
and let me go on a two mile hike and be able to enjoy nature as, as you well know how important nature is. You are between the two of us, you are the king of that. And just being able to, to have that space and to be able to see the world new and fresh because you're in unfamiliar surroundings and you're not immune and oblivious to the things that you see every day is really helpful and metaphorically in line with what you are doing as a writer you're in those in those retreat situations you're trying to get a fresh view of things and that is those are things that you might struggle with or not have in outside of that context in your quote regular life or the day-to-day life at your home with you know the usual distractions and the things that come up those would be things that you that would be a little more difficult to get to with that level of intensity, that level of an intention. And, and it's just, you know, setting, it seems to me like it, like the setting aside, the, the, the geography mirrors the time. In other words, by, mm. by changing, by placing yourself in a new place, you're able to also put yourself to, to maybe bookend your time in a different way so that you're, you're, doing things and creating things yeah chronogeologic freshness which is also the name of a post-rock band that we should probably start <laughs> we have a lot of those we got yeah strongly point. worded weather we got a whole bunch yeah <laughs> a lot of sub maybe they're just track names at this that, point yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but writing retreats are different than writing conferences and i think that's a distinction that should be made and that writing conferences also have their place but that's more of a time where there are highly structured schedules with experts coming in to teach classes about particular topics or about the publishing industry or anything informative that's more of a crash course college experience where you're going in you get to pick and choose what you want to learn about usually then there is a large gathering at the conference bar where people meet up every night and talk and drink and discuss craft or discuss sports or discuss whatever i would say that of the two of those things the writing conference is more about let me understand craft let me understand the industry let me get outside perspective that's the conference the retreat is more about, let me actually go create, let me write, let me apply the things that I either learned at the conference or somewhere else. On top of that, there is a fan conference where you have something like the recently held VoucherCon in Minneapolis where crime writers are going. And so you can go and you can maybe be there to learn about craft because you want to write, but you also have a chance to see the authors who you read and you love, see them on panels, discussing their work, discussing how it is that they write the things that they do. And so that's sort of a a third category that's more geared towards readers and fans, but not really so much about craft, even though craft might be talked about there. And I know that the, the conference, that kind of conference exists in multiple genres and 
there are a wide enough variety geographically speaking and genre speaking that you should be able to get to an event where you can get some camaraderie about what you're working on and what interests you with a larger group wherever you are and and that said and this is an important thing and and I hate to be that guy but I am sometimes that guy not all conferences are the same and that has a lot to do with who is brought in for a speaker if you go to a conference and you see that they've got acquiring editors or agents and those agents and editors are available to pitch your work to talk about what they're looking for etc it's important to look and see what the track record is of the agents and the editors who are there and understand that conference directors work with the resources they have at hand. And sometimes you'll get well-known agents and editors and other times you'll get less well-known. I have definitely, definitely for sure 100% been at conferences where there were editors and or agents who had no business being on a panel talking about the publishing industry had no business being there taking pitches. And I recognize that conference directors are in a tough spot because attendees are expecting those kinds of experiences and they have to work with who they can actually get to show up and they have to compensate the agents or editors, their hotel room, some of their travel expenses. There was a recent conference in the Southeast where the, uh, the keynote speaker was, if for anyone who would do any research into him or her, but probably him, uh, it, you would know that like this guy has no business, zero business speaking as an authority in the publishing industry. And it puts me in a tough spot because I want to reach out to everyone who's attending and be like, hey, go read this guy's bio and actually think about what this says and, and look at his look at his qualifications before you disrupt how you already think about the publishing industry or writing at the suggestion of somebody else's expertise that may not actually be the expertise. And that's one of the frustrating things about publishing. And we've talked about this multiple times is that there are a lot of people who claim to be experts who give a lot of ironclad advice and you have to do this, but they have no authority. And, and, it's irresponsible, in my opinion, for conference directors to hand over a microphone to people like that, but it happens and ultimately everyone is an adult and they need to verify the veracity of the sources who are speaking. So wide variety in terms of quality of information, quality of, of the, the connections you could make. Yeah, absolutely. Those, are those more, I mean, I guess it's the same within every industry where there are people who are maybe more interested. Would it be fair to say that that is a conference where the the people putting it on are, are more interested in just making, making the money and keeping it going? And I would, 
at, I would at, say yes. At the expense of the quality of the programming and yeah, actually lifting up writers. Yeah. And, you know, God bless them because I am willing to bet there isn't as much money in it for the conference director as there is when you're initially writing out your plans about how a conference is going to go and you start running through the financials of it and you think, okay, we're going to get a thousand people to show up and they're all going to pay $500 and we're going to have bottles of crystal that we're going to be popping. Like I know that it's hard to get people there. Uh, lots of expenses pop up that you didn't account for. And so you have to start cutting corners or, making questionable decisions about who's speaking because you just need to fill those spots and you need to have something going on there. It's my hope, and we talked about this in an earlier episode, that we are going to do pop-up writers' conferences in communities that would not normally have access to writers' conferences. And I want to bring in writers and I want to bring in agents and I want to bring in people to help, but I, I, I'll be very transparent and I'll encourage people to like, look at, look at the resumes, look at where this is, don't have expectations that can't be met. And we're doing ours for free. So I'm not even, I don't even plan on anyone being mad about how much they, they spend on it. But I do want to make sure that we set a model for how it can work and should work. And I believe that when possible, if you can assist people with these things in a way that is beneficial to everybody involved, both the presenter and the people listening, then you should do that. And I look forward to, to when we actually start doing the collaborative pop-up conferences. So do I, so do I. Do you have conferences that you want to mention that are more reputable, more established, more what let's say that I am somebody who was just beginning to be interested in this, this aspect of writing the community building and looking for further educational opportunities and, and whatever else might be offered. What, uh, what are some specific retreats and or conferences that you would recommend or uh, if you want to not recommend others if you want to un <laughs> unrecommend some others disrecommend yeah, we, we try to keep it positive on uh here on collabercast yeah you know what I, I i won't go negative but if there are listeners who are thinking about going to a particular conference and they want my feedback if i have any i'll certainly give it i kind of feel like i'm in a place where i can't really judge the way that I might have been able to a decade ago because I was so much more involved in attending different conferences then I haven't I haven't really gone to a conference in forever I really like going back to to Colorado in well the just the, the pandemic wipes out a third of that 10 years anyway so right yeah for sure you know, nobody nobody's been doing anything since 2019 which is the last time I saw you at Wellstone, I think. So yeah, that's, you know, the whole, the whole world has been on. Pause. No, you saw me in 2020 at Wellstone right before the pandemic hit because my trip to Wellstone was the last airplane I was on before the pandemic hit. And that was for my birthday. That was in February of 2020. Uh, in Colorado, they've got the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers 
um, conference and I have spoken there multiple times and I have a lot of friends who are involved there and I've always been very impressed with how that that went. I had great experiences, but you know, this is a decade ago at the Willamette Writers Conference in Portland, but I love Portland. I've got family in Portland, in Portland. So it's very easy for me to blend together the experience of being in a place I love and I might not be as actively participating in the conference itself because I'm more immersed in the larger community around there. But those are, those are two that I have historically loved. I haven't, I don't know that I've been to, to either in, like I said, a decade, but they've both been good ones. But, you know, every state has one as far as I know, and that's cool too, because then you can find community with writers in your area and that can be helpful in just having that feeling of being not alone in the world as you've been as you're on your creative journey and in those cases the programming of the conference can kind of be secondary if you meet people who are helpful and you have it you can develop a support network of some sort but if if there are uh, listeners to the podcast who have conferences that they love, please let us know and we'll, we'll drop some links. We'll drop some links in the YouTubes and the wherever else we drop links, the episode description. And if you are a conference organizer and you want Jason or myself to show up and talk about these things or both of us, please feel free to reach out. I had to unfortunately because I just don't trust the state of the, the pandemic, I had to back out of speaking at a conference that was supposed to occur later in October. But it's not because I didn't want to be there. It's not because I wasn't looking forward to it. I just, I keep seeing at large conferences, the, the three or four days later, there's the, oh, okay, there's a little bit of a COVID outbreak among all of the people. And I'm just not ready to to do that, even though I'm super boosted and, and all of that, like, I just, I don't want to be there. And I, I can figure out other ways to, to try to help. How does AWP fit into that landscape? I believe that the first time we met in person was that uh, in, was that in 20, Los Angeles? Yeah, was it 2016 or 17? AWP 2016. Or? It had to be 2016 because I was gone from Simon Schuster by 2017's AWP. I'd loved AWP. I've, I've gone twice, once in LA and once in Minneapolis. And, uh, you know, AWP for me was great because I got to hang out with you. I got to hang out with Jim Mullen. I got to hang out with Todd at Razor Cake. And just be around people, be around writers, be around all of that energy, sit at a booth and have all kinds of great conversations. I don't know personally, because I was someone who was displaying, I don't know how the programming works for people. I assume it must be good because it's a very popular conference. I don't think I would be able to get much writing done. It's something like AWP because it's just 
it's frenetic. It's, Hey, who are you? Hey, you're, you're fascinating. Let's talk. And you just lose track of time. So, so setting your expectations would be great. And if you see, um, if you see people who are part of your larger tribe as a writer, as a creative, and you can strike up friendships, that's the kind of thing that AWP, as far as I'm concerned, is perfect for doing. What I remember, so I was there not as a presenter or a, a person manning a booth, but as, as an attendee. And what I remember the most about it were the, I, I went to a number of panels, but what I really remember was the, the floor, the trade show floor, and just walking around meeting people and talking to people. And then the, the other events outside of the convention center, the, um, you know, the, the Jim's reading that we went to with Keith Morris and then yeah. the, the, the Scott Connors, Scott O'Connor's reading at that art gallery. Um, how all of the restaurants wanted to feed you meat, even though you kept trying not to order meat. <laughs> it happened like three times in a row. Um, so it was, it, it was, it was those things that really stick out in my mind the most. And that when I think about that, that uh, those few days down there, th those are the things that I remember. And they were, um, you know, the, the kind of the auxiliary. Did we go bouldering in a gym? We did, yes. And I remember that as well. When there's a giant, giant bouldering gym that we went yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. And you took this picture of me in the diner that we went to that I that was a really cool picture that a lot of people commented on. <laughs> I don't remember the panels at all. I don't remember any of the speaking. I, I, I mean, I remember feeling like I remember Lee, you talked about trying to write there and I didn't write a word. There was nothing to, you know, there was no. It, it's all input. And it seems to me when you were talking earlier about the difference between a retreat and a conference, a conference seems like it's very much taking things in. It's getting all that input. And then a retreat is much more about the output. And there has to be, you know, for me anyway, I need a separation between those two things. I can't sit there and listen to panelists. So like, but after my MFA program, that's two and a half years of intensive input and you're writing a ton throughout it but the writing that you're doing is really kind of your writing as the writer you were before you came into the program and and it takes a few years out beyond the program before you can really distill all of that feedback that you got before all before you can filter out everything that you've heard before you can dispense, recognize and dispense with the bad advice and really take in and understand the good advice and then incorporate that into your writing and your processes. Um, so for me, there's, there's, a, there's a big gap between those things. So I, I can't sit there and listen to a panel and then go to my hotel room and then take what I just heard and incorporate that into my writing there. Yeah, I need to go through a whole process of figuring out what that means for me and how it affects. And of course, if you're in an MFA program, you're trying to do that constantly. You're in a class and your instructor is teaching you things and then assigning you something. And then you're trying to 
combine what you've just heard with what you already know and put that all together. And then, and that, that is, that does, you, you use the word frenetic and that does feel like a frenetic process. And so, yeah, for me, I like, a, I like a good gap. I need to, I need to think about stuff. I need to, I need to process things and, and filter things out and then, and then really figure out how to, you know, it's a, it's a slow process for me personally. Yeah. And it's hard at a conference not to have like severe FOMO that if you sit down to write, you're like, who am I not talking to right now that I could be talking to? And what am I doing that I, what am I missing that I could be doing? And FOMO is terrible for a writing brain because you're just, you're preoccupied with what should I be doing right now? It's like, well, you should be writing. So yeah, I'm, you need those separations. And I just think it's important to have realistic expectations when you embark on a journey to a retreat or a conference, that it works with what is manageable and realistic as far as what you're able to do and how to best use it and how to give yourself the grace of, of that. And I think that's one of the reasons why with the Salida Writers Retreat, we make things available, but try very hard not to get FOMO as a, as a thing going on because then people get mad at themselves. Like I came here to write 10,000 words and I've only written 2000 words and I'm sore because I went on this hike, but like, did I waste money getting here? And I don't ever want people to feel that way. I want them to feel nurtured and I want them to feel like what their experience was was either in line with what their expectations were or it exceeded it in a way because they didn't know that they could also have this other benefit. But the, I just want to make sure that I'm everywhere all at once. That's not, that's not a writer's retreat. That's a writer's conference. I like that as a marketing challenge. It's like, we've got this thing. We got this thing we put together. It's probably going to suck. So, you know, you probably shouldn't come if you want. I don't know. It's, you know. I'll buy you lunch, I guess, if you're here. But like, why would you want to be here? Why would you want to have lunch with me anyway? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I don't, I did, maybe I'll be making some interesting, maybe not. Maybe I'll just sit there and look at you awkwardly. Yeah. With this art gallery thing, but just, that's that's my favorite. It doesn't come out of clothes, you know, it's all messy and. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I encourage people to explore these things for what they need and for what they work, because I do believe there is magic both in isolation and in large group settings. I personally have a hard time with crowds in that I am super susceptible to the energy of every single person in a room. And so it is exhausting. Even if I'm not actively participating, just being around a bunch of people, I can't not hear every conversation going on. I can't not feel the the confusion and the grief and the hope and the joy of everybody in the room with me. So I am known for at conferences doing that, ah, I'll be right back. I have to make a phone call. And then I just disappear for a day or two because I just, I can't be around people. It's not because I don't love you all. I do love you all. I just can't be around people all of the time. Fair enough. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we can come up with in the way that the, there's the whole rise and grind word warriors, that whole thing. Maybe we can come up with some sort of 
schooling based on are you a conferencer or a retreater? And then we can sort of gear gear our expertise. Figure out a conferencer or because everything has to be a binary. You have to be one or the other. (laughs) Come up with a custom ratio. Yes. 20%, 80%. It's possible, not necessarily for sure, but it's possible that some of the October episodes of Collaboracast are not going to have this split screen business going on, but that Mr. Buckholtz and I will be in the same spot recording. And I would be up for, because I have the equipment, that where I'm going to be, there is a two-mile hike through the Redwoods. And I kind of feel like we could probably do a podcast while on a hike. And that might be a really cool thing for us to explore and to give people motion sickness who choose to watch it on YouTube. There are, uh, there is another hike that I want to take you on through the Redwoods in SoCal. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah, much to, much to explore, but yes, I think we should make a plan of that in a couple of weeks time now. So yeah, looking forward to that. Well, I feel like I could have a, a long, long conversation with you because I did have a lot of great experiences in Salida, but for the sake of all of the collaborists out there, I will spare you the details and I will bend your ear at a later time. Is there anything else you would like to add for this conversation, Mr. Buckholtz? That's it from me. All right. If you listen to this podcast and you enjoyed it, uh, please feel free to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe. Tell people to subscribe. We do sometimes get a little bit of robust conversation on YouTube about these conversations. So if you've got a comment and you're listening to this on Well, I was going to say if you're listening to it on Spotify, but you're not because our podcast is not on Spotify. But if you're listening to it wherever you get your podcast and you're like, oh, I really need to chime in my opinion, then go over to YouTube and find find the episode and then go ahead and chime in with your opinion. Tell us what writing conferences and retreats that you like and what's been good for you. That's a good repository for your participation in this conversation. Yes, and thanks to everybody who has taken the time and the energy to come over and share their thoughts and their ideas and participate in the conversation. This is the spirit in which we put this endeavor together is the spirit of absolutely collaboration and and togetherness in a way that's not overwhelming and doesn't make us want to go make two-day-long phone calls. <laughs> absolutely. All right. For story or community conferences.